0: Hey, this is Kai Leskowitz of Aslan Beer Company, and you are listening to the Beer Mighty Things Podcast. Welcome into the Beer Mighty Things Podcast. It's what you listen to while you brew. It's what's in your ears as you drink beers. A little shaky on that that startup there. I haven't uh, recorded a podcast in like a month or two. So <laughs> uh, Today, we are welcoming in Josh Bernstein again. Uh, he's got his finger on the pulse of you know what's going on, what we can look for in 2024, and um, you know what I'm really excited about is uh, dry January is over, so let's uh, let's help these breweries get their revenues up. And um, Josh, welcome in. How are we doing?
1: Hey, King Wayne, thanks so much for having
0: me. Really appreciate it. Yeah, I, you know, I, before we got on here, I was saying, you know, I, I kind of like to look at our right, 2023 recap. What do we see? What happened? And then, you know, dig in All right, what what can we expect in 2024? So I get halfway through this article and I'm like, oh. Josh wrote this. So I was like, yeah. let me just send Josh a message here. So thank you for taking the time. Hopefully you had a nice holidays and a good start to your year. How's that going?
1: Yep. Can't complain. Uh, writing stories, still surviving in this journalism landscape. So, mm-hmm. and always a story to write about beer. It feels like this industry is just, you know, forever changing. It's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Um, how is your book? Uh, you know, you, complete beer course chugging along. Um, yeah. hopefully sales are doing well. Okay. No, you get, I mean, the publishing biz, you basically get your sales numbers twice a year. So mm-hmm. it's kind of this moment where, uh, you don't really know till you get this letter in the mail and it could include a great check. It could include a so-so check or it could include no check.
0: <laughs> Interesting. I'm surprised yeah. it's like not more, you know, talking about it or,
1: you know, if you hours. really want to push your editors and the company to find your sales numbers on there, you can, you know, I mean, following something on a daily or a weekly basis is not going to give you an accurate snapshot of anything on there. But yeah, typically, like for my publisher, they do, um, you get your numbers twice a year. So for example, the six-month stretch from January to June, you'd find out at the end of October how you do for that period. And then the from uh, July to December, you find out like end of April, I think, hmm. end of April, give or take. So it's this weird, yeah, this weird hurry up and wait. It's, so everything's always a little bit pushed pushed beyond.
0: I always learn something new from you. I didn't know that. I appreciate
1: publishing. It.
0: <laughs> <laughs> publishing. Cool. Um <clears throat> 2024 is here and January's already over. I you know, I feel like December 15th to here we are, February 2nd, and we're recording on 2 2 at 2 p.m., which I thought was fun. You were like, let's do it at 2 2 at 2. I was like, all right. The number works for me. Yeah. Cool. Um, I'm gonna do a quick little brief overview of your article. And then we're going to dive into it. So your article mentions here that over the next 12 months here in 2024, you know, tap rooms really need to put a premium on hospitality, right? We need to separate ourselves. Why do people want to come back, right? There's so many breweries, you can go next door, we're hitting the spot of almost too many breweries, some are closing, there's not a lot, there's not enough, you know, money to go around, the cost of everything is up. So we do need people to come back into our tasting rooms. That's where we make our margins. That's where we can really make a difference. Uh, COVID happened. Festivals and things really never kind of came back. So uh, breweries will, you know, hopefully get a little more creative with events and people will want to attend them. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, we're looking at kind of zero carbonation, alcoholic beverages, kind of like uh, the hard teas. Um, also, we are looking at uh, more of the uh, NA beverages. Yeah. Um, Brewery consolidation, what I'm seeing already with a couple of my clients is, hey, we're going to close our tap room. We don't have the foot traffic, but we've built a good brand. We're going to have another brewery brew our beer, and we're going to package it and put it out the door. Mm -hmm. Um, Brand values will become selling points as the impact on the beer. This is interesting to me, and I think this kind of gets into that whole Gen Z thing of, you know, the consumer wants to buy a product from a company that believes in sustainability and doing things the right way mm-hmm. versus, Hey, this is an IPA. They're like, no, where's this IPA coming from? Who are the people who are making it? And why do we care?
1: Yeah. I think like, you know, like if we go back 10 years ago, people were just happy enough to get a freshly made IPA in their hands. Right. We lined up for the, getting these hazy IPAs from our local breweries and that felt, that felt like the win right there, getting access to it. But when you have access to, great beer everywhere and a lot of the same similar flavor profiles, what's going to separate you. And I think for consumers, you, you want to believe in the brand, right? You know, you want to believe in the company behind it. What's their ethos is it line with you. You know, if 10 breweries all make great IPAs priced similarly, you need to find like this separating point on there. And I mean, it's so really going to go back and, you know, as a brewery, you can't force, you can't force yourself to care. It has to come from a, from an honest place. It has to be genuine. It, yeah. It can't, you know, it can't be like, you know, Pride Month and all of a sudden putting on like an LGBTQ, right, <laughs> LGBTQ, like positive beer. And then right. the other 11 months of the year, just like forgetting about it. I mean, those things come across as really craven and just like cash grabs and just pandering to people. Yeah. You people need to have that. people do see through it. So I think, you know, you really have to care about who you are. You have to show people you care about values that they maybe also care about, too.
0: And that's, you know, even coming back to, you know, coming back to bullet point one was, you know, tap rooms have to create, you know, a wow factor for folks to come back. So, you know, not only are we caring more about who's making the product, but we also want to feel welcomed and we want to invite others to come with us. And we want to go back to that tap room, you know, again, to your point, 10 years ago, you can have a mean, angry bartender serving you your beer and you were happy about it. You know, (laughs)
1: excuse me, sir. Can I have another, you know?
0: Yeah. Now it's like, I don't, you know, I don't feel welcome there or whatever. Like I don't, I didn't get the wow factor because I can go down the street to another place that makes really good product and um, you know, and, and that, so times have changed and I think we all just really need to up our game. Um,
1: yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I think too, we, I think we put ourselves through our inconvenience to acquire beer, for you know, a long period of time, we went to industrial parks where these breweries were located in, waited in line to drink beer and kind of like non-soundproof, like loud rooms. And just getting this liquid in your hand was all that mattered on there. But I mean, I think those moments are really important for discovery and finding beer. It almost felt like a treasure hunt to go seek out these new yeah. breweries in a sense. Um, and but nowadays, I think tap rooms are becoming sort of um they're tap rooms are becoming hospitality brands, essentially, Mm -hmm. you know, and like breweries are becoming hospitality companies and have to think of themselves in that way too. You wouldn't go to the average restaurant and expect your server and the cook to be really angry with you and have a bad attitude. (laughs) You would walk out pretty quickly. You wouldn't walk back again. Mm -hmm. The same Mm -hmm. thing with the brewery on there. I mean, you need to find ways you want to help people walk them through the beer selections, you know, talk to people, make them feel, you know, like they want, like you want them to be there. And I think that that can be a challenge from the staffing side thing too, because you're looking for two things, looking for people that know their beer and have a great, almost this like, you know, bar side demeanor, right? And those two things don't always go hand in hand together, I think. And so it requires, I think, a lot from the staff, or sorry, from the ownership to really, I think, make training, education on the beer styles, make all these things really essential
0: to what you're doing as a brewery yeah just elevate the experience all together i mean the beer is good right people are going to want to drink it but you want them well, to come good back beer,
1: good beer is just like the lowest table stakes right now man like good beer is just kind of like you have to make good beer and i think you have to make good beer good beers there but what do you do beyond that to make yourself distinct on that and i mean i think that's really the biggest point people have figured they've cracked the code on making great hazy ipas yep. good loggers are far and wide nowadays um you know, with Good Beer Everywhere, what's going to be your differentiating factor? And it's going to be the smile that you greet people with. It's going to be that, you know, it's all of these little things will add up to make people feel more welcome. It's, you know, service in the bathroom. Do you have like, you know, do you have diaper changing things where parents come with their kids? Do you have Mm -hmm. all these small details that really add up to create a much better experience for the average person?
0: There, There are so many times where, you know, Maybe the brewery's not open at the times so I might be in there for a meeting or popping by or whatever. And a lot of times, they're you know, it's before hours. But all right, pop in, use the restroom before I'm on my way out. And there's there's no there's no towels like it's or it looks you know you're in there. It's like it looks grungy. You're like come on, you know, let, let's mm-hmm. let's do a little better. You know, the moms and things like, like to your point, they don't want they want to feel clean, right? You want to get your kid cleaned up and get out of there, and you know, just doesn't want to feel that no dingy
1: oh man i mean you know like my daughter is what uh she'll be 11 this fall but she uh was born in 2013 which is the year the taproom laws changed in new york city mm-hmm. and the amount of like <laughs> the amount of changing on the floors of industrial places with, with a diaper mat don't get you i'm not just putting on, <laughs> on the dirty floor and being like but you know the amount of changing in the backs by tanks and things i did back in the day too i mean was it was just wild. Like thinking back, I just, you know, it's, it's almost hilarious to think back in time, like how, you know, the the lengths I went through both maybe to like even go to a tap room with my kid or just to experience what was happening out there. But then when you're there, it was I just cared so much about getting the beer in my hand. I didn't, you know, the fact that there were no changing tables wasn't even something that crossed my mind. But nowadays, 10, 11 years later, it's like, if I'm going to take my kid to a brewery tap room, you know, I want to know that they're a kid focused place. I want to, they have something to do, maybe arcade games, maybe something like that. Cause like my kid doesn't want me to go to a tap, doesn't want to go to a tap room, just like stare at her iPad while
0: dad drinks
1: two IPAs. (laughs) It's terrible. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, And you want to, do a puzzle with them or do something, you know, do something together. If you're there together, you might as well do something together, right? Spend good quality time together.
1: Yeah. Fridays, like we have a once a week thing on Fridays. We go to like a local beer bar in our neighborhood. And then our Fridays, they have like um, grab and go, like, um, you know, like Landyager sausages, like cheeses, bread, but they have connect four and trouble mm-hmm. and Uno and other games. We go there. She gets to pick some stuff from the fridge. Um, you know, we play some games for a couple hours and go for pizza Friday and it's like, you know, it's a place where kids feel welcome because there are opportunities for them to, to do something there instead of just staring at their parents consuming. Right.
0: And that keeps them busy too, right? And then they're yeah. not running around and makes the staff happy because they're not tripping over them. So everybody, yeah. You know, in your article, you do mention here, and it's a quote from Bart Watson, which really clicked with me. that you know, even just it's been 10 years, like we've been doing this for 10 years or, or more, right? I mean, there's been breweries around 25, 30 years now. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, what Bart had said was we are now in a mature and competitive marketplace, mm-hmm. right? And that's, breweries are mature, right? Mm-hmm. Breweries are competitive. Everyone's doing really good things, but we got to elevate it, right? We can't just mm-hmm. rely on, hey, if we if we start a brewery, people are going to come because it's not, it's not that way.
1: There are very few markets left in America that don't have a brewery within them in which you can make a mark. And wow, people, I mean, they're... There are still some like markets, or some markets are more developed. Like you know, parts of Florida are behind the curve for stuff. We'll just say like an Oregon market. You know, eventually people will catch up. Yep. I mean,
0: it's a matter of time. It's a matter of when, not if. So to them, they should be focusing on these trends because they're going to hit them maybe in a year or two or three or four. But and,
1: and the, the more you can establish yourself as a place that that people want to go to and delivers what people want and <laughs> desire in a friendly atmosphere. I mean, that's, that's hugely impactful right now that you need to start on this right now. I mean, you can't wait. You know, I think the second you're trying to like retrofit a struggling business to survive, you're already behind, you're already behind on that. So you need to, I think I get ahead of it. I mean, you know, you can't just sit here and be like, oh, when things go south, I'll change. It's like, you don't want them to go south. You don't have to adjust. You want to put things forward on there. And I mean, it's a challenge. I think a lot of people got in the beer world, especially in the last 10 years, you like making beer, you like home brewing? you want to do something you want to open up a brewery it's great but just the actual making of the making of an alcoholic beverage versus the running of a taproom focused business mm-hmm. they're almost two separate things all together i yeah. mean you need and you're what makes you a great brewer may not make you a great taproom you know manager as well so then in that turn you really need to make sure you hire the staff that the hospitality experts that know what they're doing that um that that's that's their stock and trade. I mean, both these sides are super important parts of the business. I did another piece recently um, looking at sort of like taproom expansions and uh, people Mm. are becoming sort of, um, you know, chains in the best possible sense of the word, but having, but how you approach opening up multiple locations and really to a T, everyone's like staffing super important education is key. But once you actually have a viable taproom, that is like people feel great about what's happening is it creates this halo in the local marketplace where you're um, basically off, uh, off-premise sales increased oftentimes. And so you're finding by like, creating this great location it will, in turn, spur sales at supermarkets, um, at groceries, at yeah, supermarkets, liquor stores, et cetera. I think a lot of the um, conversation for years was like, don't open up another thing. You're competing against the bar. The bar won't carry your beer. But with like 9,500 breweries in the country, there's not really tap loyalty in that same sense as there was. And so you're not just getting a tap that's going to stay static from the day the bar opens, to the day it closes. They're rotating. So there's not loyalty on the bar side. So I don't yeah. think there's as much you know there's is still going to be friction of course don't get me wrong but i mean it's not going to deny you from it, you may in fact maybe you'll sell less at the bars but maybe you'll sell more off premise
0: yeah you get that brand recognition and if hey they don't want to stop by the brewery but they're already at the grocery store i think that was something that you know we were talking about towards the end of 2023 was uh, a lot of the grocery stores are or the distributors are beefing up their grocery store footprint because to make it easier hey i'm already there for my milk and my eggs and my bread or whatever and my groceries and then oh wait i can grab beer while i'm here now that saves me a trip and saves me time um yeah totally
1: i mean to that point like to tack on like brewery like grocery stores are are really not expanding their beer selection right now i said a story for the times kind of looking at like skew rationalization how you know people are focusing more on core products and i mean um You know, Whole Foods is talking to them. They're not expanding their beer selection this year, but, you know, they're asking more of their brands that are in there, you know, to that point, it's kind of their national brands that are in there. It's like, what's your reason? Do your, does your brand align with our store ethos as well too? And so, you know, I think you have to work even harder to become part of these supermarket sets. I mean, the days of having, making 10 different brands and getting them all spots on store shelves are over you know you got to focus on your your lead horses right now and then find ways to make it as a you know find ways to help them keep moving
0: yeah and even you know hey instead of making 12 different styles of beer maybe you know maybe you're making four core ones that really good and really brand recognized and do you oh, that
1: i think that's important i mean like you can from a from a perspective of you're making four beers that really sell you can then in turn better estimate what your ingredient load is you can better maybe yeah. take bigger things of grain um you can maybe refine your recipes more you've got time to perfect them all too so there's a lot of benefits i think to maybe focusing inward a little bit more on your things you know that are selling and moving and that i think can't help but make you a much better business if your beer is better you're saving money i mean if you you can buy
0: in bulk right because i mean everything is expensive right now right so if you can buy in bulk reduce the amount of beers you're putting out that'll reduce your cost per unit which will in turn increase your margin
1: Yep, a hundred percent. And I think like right now, anything you can do to make yourself like saving that one to two percent, which could be the difference between keeping and that extra employee on versus having to lay somebody off, is really yeah. key. You know,
0: that's what I'm seeing a lot. You know, hey, expenses are up. We need to pay our employees, and that's you know that's that's the focus, right? Um, cost yeah. living for the employees is going up, right? So they need to get paid more.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, and people should get paid more. Yeah, <laughs> just, absolutely. You know, beer beers has been historically undervalued as a product. And I think just it's because the craft beer industry arose as sort of like a counterpoint to mass market lager yep. and flavor was enough to really separate them in the beginning. And you paid more for flavor access, but with so many big breweries or so many quote unquote craft breweries getting bigger, offering great value i mean there's strata as a price differentiation within the craft sector that you know craft breweries can offer 15.99 lager packs for 15 beers i yeah. mean it's wild i mean so i think if you, so not everybody with more pinched wallets is willing to maybe spend 20 bucks in a four pack every maybe you still will but maybe it's not like a fridge filler but maybe it's like a splurge and so well, maybe
0: you're getting that 15 pack plus you're getting a four pack you know yeah
1: yeah, balancing
0: that a little bit too. Yep. Uh obviously seeing just loggers, and it is great to see that there are a lot of good craft loggers out there. Before it used to kind of be hard to find, and now it's like, all right, kind of figured that out and I love it.
1: Yeah, yeah. and that that's another thing I'm seeing too with like, you know, beyond the logger, I think like focusing on loggers, but also I think we we're talking a bit about sort of breweries and festivals. I think having your festival have like a distinct point of view is one way I think that's really gonna get people to come out there again, like having you know, a logger focused festival like Daggy right. Beaker in uh, California did that, it's done that for a few years now. Notch is doing one. Uh, Human just- Robot
0: in Philly has a great one, um, Log Jamming. It's unbelievable.
1: Yeah, and I think like, having that, it gets you excited to explore, you know what you're getting into. Um, it's going to attract maybe, you know, get diehards back out again that may have been burned out by too many festivals. Maybe you've gone around the bend with your intensities of flavor and you're digging on lagers these days. So I think having, having festivals with very specific viewpoints is a great way to kind of get over this festival fatigue that I think a lot of us felt. I mean, it takes a lot to get off your couch anymore for a lot of people, especially anyone that's been in the beer biz or been drinking beer for a long period of time. I mean, you need to find new things to get a, find new things, get excited about and like having sure. these very focused beer festivals are a great way, I think to, um, hopefully reinvigorate a fan base,
0: uh, to that point, you know, barrel and flows out in Pittsburgh, I've had, you know, Dave Bracey, you know, those guys on the podcast and when I'm out in Pittsburgh, definitely, you know, grab a beer with them. I mean, they've done a really good job just centering around black brewers, musicians, artists, nonprofits. That's a phenomenal, again, niche right here. We're focused on one thing here. Um, did yeah. you mention that you, in your articles Snally Gaster Festival in D.C.? And that's, you know, you got rear, rear beer, you got wine, get, cocktails, live yeah, music. Yeah, you
1: get wine, cocktails, you get music. I mean, it's more rounded package. I mean, so your friend that's like or your partner's like, I don't like beer. Well, here, you like wine, you like cocktails, you like music. And so thinking much deeper about what your offerings are and not excluding anyone from that ticket price on there too. And I think, um, yeah, I mean, Barrel & Flow is a great example of like, you know, you know, giving people an, a, a festival that goes beyond beer and really creates intersections with different yeah. parts of the world. And, you know, we, we're always looking for the beer world. How do you reach other niches? How do you reach other other markets that may not have spent their days lining up for beer? And I think, you know, having festivals that overlap with, with arts, with music, with everything all together, with food, even but done well is like super important. But it requires a lot more thought than just, you know, here Are 50 kegs in a square box of a room? Right. Walk around and drink all of you want, yeah. Uh, that's those were those type of festivals were really important, I think, 15 years ago, 20 years ago for a lot of people, yeah. Um, because they were the points of um experimentation. You could go there and try 50, 100 beers, and you're like, Whoa, who knew beer could be like this? It's so different, but you know, it's if you drank all these beers, but I think like you can go to any. Grocery store now and get a great selection. I go to my crappy bodega down the road, yeah. and I've got you know a hundred different beers I can choose from, and you know experimentation is everywhere. But point of view, a reason for existing as a beer festival is really important.
0: Yeah, to that point, right? You go around, you have a little two ounce cup, you have fifty beers, and you're not, you're just you're just doing your thing with the people you came with. Whereas that barrel and flow kind of builds a community right you're all there and you are communicating and you're dancing and you're doing things together which is it's kind yeah. of that's like, different that's cool
1: yeah you know it, it's slots be your next you know i think we're moving into a much more kind of um you know, if for the, the craft beer movement what happened in 2010s where beer took front and center for the conversation. We drank the beer, we talked about the beer, we thought about more breweries too. It was almost this historical blip from how we typically have thought about beer. Beer's right. always been kind of the um, social lubricant that gets the gears flowing and us talking and going off. We don't talk about the beer except to say, oh, could I have another one? Or, oh, we're out, you know, like things like that. Yeah. So beer's always been this accompaniment to the baseball game, to the concert, to the party, to the barbecue, having great beer there was awesome. You know, you didn't talk about it, but then beer became the centering, the sent, the conversational point where you're drinking beer and talking about it, and it kind of like flipped this, flipped the script a little bit on what what the role is of beer. But I see us going back toward this point where beer is an accessory, is doing what it always has done, which is you know grease the conversational wheels, um, create connectivities, but moving away from it having to be something that's discussed at length and. You know there is a value to that and like you know there are times i want to nerd out too and get deeper about yeah. it but on like friday night hanging out with friends i mean i want to talk to them and have you know talk to them and not about the uh liquid i'm drinking i think so i think we're moving we're moving back toward beer's historical role as kind of yeah the greaser
0: of good times we should make like a
1: t-shirt <laughs> the, greaser. <laughs> the greaser. i love that
0: that's <laughs> fantastic um yeah, and to your point, I think we've kind of, you know, we've had all the beers, right? The people that you're getting together with to drink the beers, you don't talk about the beers as much anymore because we've kind of had them all until you find one every once in a while or that like, you know, the hazy IPA just blew up. But, you know, are, are people talking about, you know, dunkles, you know, all night long? I mean, not really. You might, you might you might have a bunch of them while you're hanging out talking about other things, but you're not going to sit there and dive into the the making of it, you know?
1: Rhapsody does about the delicate malt interplay, with that <laughs> and the fermentation character. I mean, it's fun. Don't get me wrong, but I mean, yeah, I think there's a time and place to nerd out and a time and place to just kick back with companions and good times.
0: Yeah, and now you know, again, Gen Z, but also a lot of other folks, and being tried January, they're reaching for non-alcoholic versions. You know, I enjoy non-alcoholic beer. Um, I don't, and I, I enjoy obviously getting a buzz from beer. That's great, but to have a few and not be buzzed and be able to drive or to be able to wake up in the morning, no problem. Like, that's awesome. I think we're going to see a lot more NA, a lot more mindful kind of drinking options.
1: Yeah. I think, you know, we're going to see a lot more of them out there too. I, I'm always a little bit cautious about how many NA beers America can support Yeah, um, on there too. Um,
0: and not, I mean, there's all, you know, of all the ones I've had, say there's 20 brands. I think there's like two or three that are tasty
1: there's a lot of, there's a lot of challenges. I mean, especially if you're still consuming alcohol and like the majority of people that drink NA beer are also drinking alcohol too. Mm-hmm. It's not like replacing a void in people's lives. It's um that beer that sits in between your other beers or yep. the beer you have a Monday night when you don't want to drink alcohol because you got a big day at work the next day. So I, I see that I'm always just a little bit cautious about sort of like how many brands this can support our um, brewery is willing to take all the steps they need for tunnel pasteurization. Like, you know, Alcohol, you know, is a hell of a thing when it comes to like its antibacterial properties, you know, keeping microbes from growing. I mean, that's what alcohol does. You subtract that. You can open it up for any sort of, um, you know, infection capability, the the possibility for infection increases unless you're doing like pasteurization and things like that. And that's really and that's costly, you know, to make that happen on there and i think um you think long and hard about how you're producing it if it's going to the marketplace or are you only looking at this one brand as something that's going to be a taproom offering if it's a taproom offering would you be better served just getting a really great na beer putting in cans on there too or maybe the easier lift is making hop water right like i'm i think me personally like i I I see the value in NA beer. Some are pretty solid, but by and large, you know, hey, talking about the calorie thing, but I think I just want like if I'm not drinking, I'd rather I'd almost rather save my personally speaking, save my calories for beer. Sure. So I tend to gravitate more toward hop waters and things like that, which you know, which I I love hops, right? And to me, mm-hmm. they they're they are great, crisp, done well. They're a crisp hop delivery vehicle that makes uh, that I enjoy.
0: <clears throat> Who's so I've had like two hop waters, two or three, and just kind of like, you know, I I almost had like buyer's remorse. Like this isn't great. Why did I spend six dollars on this hop water?
1: Yeah, uh, six bucks like for a can.
0: I don't feel like a glass of it at a. A glass?
1: Boy, well, yeah, I mean that that feels pretty pricey on there. But anyway, I think uh I think uh you know Lagunitas definitely is a big mover on there as well. They've really put a lot of energy into their hop water brand okay. on there. I have not yeah, Athletics uh, Daypack Series, I think, does mm-hmm. a great job of putting, making hop water really accessible to people too. Um, I see it as being like um a great taproom offering in a sense. Um, I love what Hoplark does. Like Hoplark is a tea yeah. company. Um, the Hoplark- Are they are part
0: of, did Brooklyn Brewery buy them or something like that? Or, or they, they, bought, they purchased they, a steak?
1: They, a steak, yeah. Okay. Um, A steak in there too. I think they do a great job of bringing hop flavors into there and they've been doing collaborations with, hoplark with breweries like other half using the hop bill yeah. from certain brands and bringing it into there so i think like you know to me i like what the hoplark stuff is doing i like a lot of the hop waters i'm pretty bullish on those doing stuff i'm a little you know i'm I'm curious to see how stuff like uh you know white claw zero percent just came out this year right that's a,
0: the big new thing what's you know white claw gonna do and seltzer
1: but you know, it's, it's a really crazy thing. It's like you know, White Claw is an alcoholic version of a non-alcoholic product, and now the White Claw zero percent is a uh, non-alcoholic version of an alcoholic version of an alcoholic product. <laughs> End up like it feels like those Russian nesting
0: dolls. Be correct. However, like you have brand recognition, and if for some reason they can put the non-alcoholic version next to the alcoholic version, you reach out with both hands and grab them, and you're good. Yeah.
1: Yeah, uh, I I'd rather if it could be
0: genius or really dumb.
1: If I'm, but you know, the the challenge with seltzers and things like that is, oftentimes they're commodities. You know, Mm -hmm. you go to the grocery store, it's like, oh, my store brand grapefruit seltzer, or do I want the LaCroix, which is twice as much? I'm like, like I'm just buying water. So I think there's going to be challenges on what the price will bear for these hop waters on there too. You know, if you're looking at it. If you're looking at it as a beer replacement, I would say you're more apt to pay higher prices on there. If you're looking at it as hydration, um, maybe you're going to blanch at higher price points. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. It's sort of what like <clears throat> where you're seeing it fit into your life. Is it going to be, are you looking at it as like, uh, I don't want a beer, <clears throat> so I'll have a hop water type of thing, or I am thirsty, I want a hop water.
0: Yeah i don't know i do just you know i have a soda stream i bubble up my water and i'll drop lemon juice in it like perfect i know yeah
1: i mean that's also an avenue as well too so yeah Yeah. all these things are i think there's going to be there's going to be winners and losers within this um na rush right now and the product states that we desire overall too um you know, I don't ever see the NA category, the shelves at stores. You know, maybe one day, but not in the next couple of years. It's not going to expand to have as many. There's, there's just not as much shelf space I think in supermarkets and stores like that. Yeah. Um, and people may be buying stuff online, delivered to their doorstep, but shipping liquids expensive. And I don't maybe. know, maybe you do it once or twice, but um, making this expense part of your daily or monthly or weekly budget, you know, is not something I think everyone's going to be yeah.
0: willing to do. Something um that was, it's not in your article, but I just came across it. Uh, I was listening to a podcast. Their uh, Olipop is a soda that has all of a sudden like blown up. And um they've kind of done things a little backwards. So they make, you know, craft sodas. And they were this tiny company. And they did a lot of research on who is buying, who was buying their product. And then they were able to get into Whole Foods they really blew up by putting their product next to kombucha in the kombucha aisle. So not even in the soda aisle, uh, but just in a different aisle on a different shelf and it started selling like wildfire. So, you know, placement, right. Is important too, right. Who's your, who's your consumer and what, what else are they buying? Mm -hmm. You know, those things are important. We need to think about that. Obviously you're you're kind of stuck to where it goes, but.
1: Yeah. And and a beer hop water is where they live in the stores. I mean, that's a challenge. I mean, everyone's going to get big end caps during dry January, but where does it live the rest of the year? I think is, um, yeah, that that's the opportunity and the challenge.
0: Yeah. Um, we are talking a little bit about different sizes of cans, um, 12 ounce, right. 16 ounce, 19 ounce, but then also we're seeing maybe some high ABV barrel aged beers in eight ounce cans. That, yeah, eight ounce, you with that?
1: yeah. Eight ounce, 12 ounce cans. I think, um, Revolution Brewing, for example, has really put a lot of their Deepwood series in 12-ounce cans for a long period of time. I am more apt to open up a 15% beer if it's 8 or 12 um, yeah. um You know, 16, 19, two, I mean, it's like uh, you're 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 getting up there when that's yeah. you. And I, like a uh, 15% beer in a 12-ounce can like, all right, that's my beer for the night. Like, that's going to be okay. I'll nurse that for a long period of time. Eight ounces is kind of like, oh, I can have this and maybe I'll have something else. And I think the eight ounces are, you know, that's kind of the serving size you'll get in bars, right? Bars aren't serving you a pint of 15% beer. It was kind of doing this in a way where you don't need to have people over. You don't have to have a bottle share to experience this like right. Walker, a lot of their barrel aged stuff now comes in 12 ounce bottles too okay um, smaller formats for big flavored big boozier beers
0: it's huge because you know how many bottles that are under my bar like you know aging essentially is really because i don't have people at my house to drink them with me so i gotta you know they're just sitting there until the time is right you know
1: <laughs> i mean i can i can take a tour of my apartment of all the,
0: <laughs> the, land, the land the the dust off
1: yeah. The land where dust accumulates. Exactly. Um, and there's nothing bad about the beers. It's just kind of like, I just don't have, or even like the size intimidation is not the right thing, but you know, I just, you know, it's a commitment and maybe I don't want that commitment. You know, on the flip side, you are seeing like the nineteen twos could ever boozy or like what flying dog yeah. has their double dog, 19.2 ounce cans of 12% beer. And I mean, and so things are going both, both ways simultaneously. And I, I say see that
0: like, to be like cool at a, you know, a football or baseball game. I need one of these and I'm good for half the game or whatever, you know?
1: Yeah. It's uh it's definitely um value party fuel.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You got all the sound bites today. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Hell yeah. Okay. Um, I had mentioned at the top of the hour here, the um movement towards, Kind of low to no carbonation—that's new.
1: So, yeah, it's new and it's old because if you think yeah. about what we just don't didn't think about so much. You think about twisted tea. Yeah, it's been such a slow burning. And Mike's
0: system. Hard Lemonade, like those things were so far ahead of their time, and their branding was not great or something. But now all of a sudden, it's like that's what people want. And like, oh, you're twenty years late. <laughs>
1: yeah, twisted tea, no bubbles, right? Yeah. Um, makes for an easy, sweet drinking experience. So like there's a lot of carbonation has really kind of been there humming along. We didn't think of it as like a selling point or we didn't maybe think of it. You're just like, wow, these are really easy to drink. And it's like, yes, because nothing, there's no bubbles for the
0: bloating. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that too. It's just like an easy drinking experience on there. So I think you're going to see a lot more hard tea brands coming out this year, like focusing on, you know, lack of carbonation as a selling point. I'm seeing it already. Um, I think I think I wrote about it too by like coming up this uh this March who is coming up. Oh yeah. Um Molson Coors has Happy Thursday as Spike Still Refresher and things like that. That's coming down the pipeline next month. Wow. Um there's like funny water with flavored alcoholic waters yeah. and things along those lines. I mean, it's uh it's it's an opportunity. I think. Um it's just it's never been communicated. So much and it's weird to me, it's happening right now because we're also in this moment of like uh still fetishizing foam. Like, I did a story what for the times, like, was it back 2019? Gosh, I pre pandemic talking about the rise toward like foam and beer, yeah. and you're still seeing this sort of like more and more people doing it. But it's almost like the foam is there, but on the flip side, you're seeing things go the other way.
0: Huh.
1: Yeah. And like, you know, you think about your cocktails, your cocktails are non. Our, most cocktails are non-carbonated as well. Um, and so wine's not carbonated except for, you know, whatever, you know, sparkling wines and so on. But, I mean, there's a, you know, it's it's something that's been there. We've just not articulated it as a consumer, you know, turn on or turn off.
0: Yeah. Certainly seeing some breweries apply for winery licenses and the opportunity to produce wine. Oh, yeah. That's going to be another big thing happening okay. this year. I mean,
1: there were definitely early movers along those lines. Speciation up in Michigan. Um, you know, Odell's been doing wine, um, Burial down North Carolina. I but like there's Bird. a lot more people like New York City Market Grimm's making wine, other half's making wine. is yeah. looking to bring wine in. Um, yeah, there's just, you know, and that, that goes back to like point number one the tap rooms becoming broader places for people meeting. I mean, if you go to a tap room, I think to drink things that people make, right? You don't yes. go there. If you want to go for a place, the curated point of view, you go to a bar, you go to a tap room to drink things people make oftentimes. So being able to offer your own wine, I think in a way, um, goes a further, goes a step further into being able to like, kind of deliver on the promise what the tap room is.
0: Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And yeah, that will be interesting. I mean, wine, obviously, you know, that, that takes some time and some patience as well. Um, I guess not nearly like, uh, aging a whiskey, but, you know, it's something they need to plan ahead for and they might need additional space and barrel and, you know, so we'll see. That'll be interesting. And also are beer makers good at making wine? I don't know.
1: Um, yeah, TBD, you know, I mean, I've not drank and I've been, I've not done a side-by-side in everybody's wines, but you know, Wicked Weed's been doing it as well for a handful of years. So there's definitely precedent for people doing it. And, you know, the interplay between winemakers making beer and, you know, breweries making, I mean, there's, yeah. and if you develop a fermentation, if you, if you love fermentation, I mean, you kind of want to explore other beverages as well. Yeah. So I see that as being part of this kind of like people's ongoing journey to explore yeah. what you can do with fermentation. So
0: where Wicked Weed is located, I mean, that's wine country. I mean, there's wine everywhere, right? You know, versus breweries. So
1: North Carolina, I oh know, like Wicked Weed's uh, Asheville, it's brewery country.
0: Oh, I was thinking, um, like Virginia. Yeah, no, Wicked Weeds. Uh, no, I'm thinking like it was Devil's Backbone down there. Devil's
1: Backbone, yeah, Wicked Weed. Okay. That's yeah, Wicked Weeds, Asheville, which is uh,
0: that is beer country for sure. Is a uh,
1: beer country.
0: I want to go there and drive through the Smoky Mountains and go to the Biltmore.
1: Yeah, it, it's fun. We did this terrible road trip. It's terrible. Very it's terrible like, road trip. You, you live in Larry. from New that, York. Like we took our one year old, it's like nine years ago. To uh, we drove from New York City to Asheville with a one-year-old yeah. and I was like we'll go to Asheville and Nashville and Dollywood and do this like road trip and it was uh you know not as pleasant as you would think yeah <laughs> with a one-year-old who yeah. could be anesthetized by the flashing screens of iPads and so on <laughs> I was kind of like, it's like mm-hmm. what do we do yeah yeah
0: that's when you leave at like 11 p.m while they are just you know they're going to sleep and then they hopefully sleep till eight in the morning or whatever but
1: yeah, yeah. uh you live you learn we didn't die
0: yeah. Hey, you know, got to do, you got to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I mentioned consolidation, right? So we got a good brand, hey, we're not getting the foot traffic that we used to. Like COVID kind of changed everybody's, you know, buying habits and nothing is predictable anymore. Uh nobody's had like a I don't know, a year where that's been the same as the prior, you know. Yeah. Um, so what i've been seeing you know clients of mine as well as just other breweries in the industry going hey we're going to close our tap room we have we have built a good brand people like our beer but we're not getting the foot traffic that we hoped. so we're gonna have somebody else make it we're going to continue to package it put it out there put it on shelves put it on drafts and um you know that consolidation helps with you know again buying in bulk um putting making things under one roof uh decreasing you know shipping and travel and things like that. So I I think we'll see more of that. And you do as well.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, look, a lot of people built out bigger breweries for the hope of expansion. Mm. You know, looking at the sales numbers in the 2010s, you know, seeing things go up. And you're like, oh, God, we need to make more beer, sell more beer to people. And now you've got a bigger brewery. And you can't find as many people to buy your beer. So you know, Having consolidation of people moving in under one roof, mm-hmm. sharing equipment, sharing resources, makes a lot of sense right now. Especially if you have uh, empty
0: tanks. Yeah,
1: especially if you have empty tanks. I mean, look, you know, I always talk about like breweries are kind of like airplanes. You know, they're not useful when they're sitting on the ground, right? And they're not useful when they're um, not full of beer, yeah, yeah. you know, and things along those lines. And so, like having these abilities to make your brewery more, you know, keeping your staff working full shifts, keeping everything going on, yes. You know, some breweries, consolidation is going to be necessary, I think, moving forward for a lot of people on there. And I mean, that's just, you know, that's the unfortunate reality that, you know, but I think we, we got into this point where we thought that every brewery had to have their own space to create liquid. And that was part of the romance, I think, yeah. that, oh, this is their thing, this is their kitchen, and then... um you know, you don't need, you can share a kitchen, you can share things too. You see commissary kitchens, you know, ghost kitchens, whatever, right. you know, who cares where the food comes from as long as it's delicious and delivered to your doorstep, right? Oftentimes, I mean, of course, <laughs> that model is fraught. It's a whole conversation for another time. But, <laughs> uh, but I think, uh, yeah, it, it's going to be, you know, if breweries want to survive, they're going to have to find ways to right size and utilize their equipment. What's going to happen? The market's going to get flooded. It's already flooded with old equipment, with fewer people to buy it. Um, and you know, it's it's not like the dairy industry; collapse collapsed in the '80s, which fueled a lot of craft breweries using their old equipment. Right. You know, these are purpose- the square
0: li- the square tanks.
1: Yeah, these are purpose built breweries, oftentimes designed for specific specific brewery needs and beers they make, et cetera, et cetera. So. Yeah, I don't know what's got all this old equipment. I don't see there's enough people out there right now ready to snap it up. There will always be new breweries popping up. That's just, you know, breweries closing, breweries opening. That's a healthy, healthy landscape. That's what happens. But um, if you're a startup brewery, maybe you don't need a 30-barrel brew house, right? Right. So this bigger equipment may be harder to find a home for, which, you know
0: and to that point right where if we're going to consolidate and start to work with another brewery we had mentioned that you know the Gen Z or the folks you know are looking for a company that they respect and want to buy from so when you are trying to align yourself with the new space you know make sure that your target market likes what all the brands under that roof are doing you know or else they may not stick around
1: yeah yeah it's uh it's a lot of calculus out there right now about what you can do and i mean it's um there, there are no, there are no clearly defined answers. I think, but you have to make decisions that are in the best, um,
0: you know, the best for your company at this point in time. Yeah, um, in your in your article, uh, Ten Barrel it was recently bought by Tilbra, Tilray. I guess they've been yeah. through a couple purchases, huh? Um, but you know, new consumers view brands as an extension of their personalities, and they connect with those brands on a much deeper level. And we, you know, we talk about branding. Branding is not just the A logo right it's it's a lifestyle and how that brand makes you feel right the the consumer um so the consumers are looking for things that align with with their personal views
1: yeah totally and you look at like brands i think you talked about in the article brands have done a great job of pushing things forward on there you know allagash b corp values leading into this outdoorsy nature their instagram Mm -hmm. feed is full of like aspirational main outdoorsy stuff like linking it with beer, that's a great way of like showing your values in the can from, you know, from can to brand. I mean, it's like it's all there for people to like glom yeah. on to if they want it. And on there's there like 5P Corp just-
0: now, right? So that's, you know, yep. obviously, you know, partnering yeah. with nonprofits and community giving and things like that.
1: Yeah. And I think like that's going to be one way that you can separate yourself too, or create this sort of, you know, look, if you open up a brewery in a town, someone's always going to out you. Someone's always going to out-release you if they want to. Um, But if you can find ways to connect with your communities, I think, and make yourself kind of inseparable, supporting local fundraisers, like running events for PTA committees, um, you know, offering yourself up as part of the community, integrating yourself. I think that is going to be a differentiator that's going to help you hopefully withstand sort of like the ups and downs of business altogether. It's like, how can you be a brewery that means something more to people than just alcohol?
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, again, we are looking at a new, a new, you know, not a new buyer, but a more mature. It's mm, the right. It's a more mature and competitive market, as we mentioned, but we are we need to be more mindful of who's buying the product and, and what we need to do in our tap room to make them come back and tell others to come there.
1: Yeah, exactly. Word of mouth is still potent. Um people still look to brewery tap rooms as places to go. I mean, it's yeah. just um they're they are meeting nodes, you know. There, that people go to. You know, the tap room. Over the last decade, the tap rooms become a a place that people congregate at, and they're not all congregating anymore for the beer that you offer. They're congregating for the vibe you have, the food truck that's outside, um, maybe the hop water you have on tap, or maybe just the fact that you're like a, you know a a roof in a warm spot. In the middle of winter, and you can go there and actually see other humans. I mean, I think it's really hard to connect with people these for oftentimes too, but tap rooms still offer, I think, points of connection um that you have a hard time to find in American society today.
0: So I have a quick question. You know, when we're when we're running through these topics, is it almost Is it across the board as a consumer or is it like you and I who have been drinking craft beer for 10 to 15 years? Or, you know, I guess my question is, do 23-year-olds or 26-year-olds, do they care about all this stuff or is this still new and exciting to them where they want to go get that newest IPA?
1: It depends if their dad and mom took them to tap rooms when they were 12 and they had a terrible time, right? That's a good point. I think think this this new generation is growing up having seen tap rooms as being... Part of the landscape. They have family associations with it, perhaps. Um, you know, it's uh is it cool to do the things that your parents do? I don't know. That's why we rebelled mm-hmm. against the beers of our the people that came before us, we're right? Facebook,
0: you know? right? That's why we're not on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, no, you
1: know, we rebelled against the beers and things like that. So I think I think right now you have to, you know, offer something more to create people there. I mean, you know, tap rooms aren't the coolest places in town always anymore too. Whereas maybe they were five, 10 years ago
0: and mm. that's okay. So yeah, the, the restaurants or the bars around the breweries are elevating, right? So now they need to keep up.
1: Yeah. I think you can still attract your consumers. We you have to give them things they want and maybe the things they want are going beyond beer alone too. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, THC beverages, I'm doing a big story on this coming up are huge. You look at markets like Minnesota selling THC beverages and tap rooms. It's not just young people in there. Right. Um, I was speaking to some folks down in Houston And they have THC beverages in the tap room, and you know what? Over indexing on people in their sixties coming in and drinking ten milligram colored THC beverages, hanging tough in there too. Do you think when you when you make a beer in your basement when you're like twenty two and you say to yourself, "Gosh, one day I'm going to open up a brewery," you don't think the pathway is going to end you down to selling like flavored THC beverages? But I think like stuff like that. If you think about that, your beverage breweries have become beverage and hospitality companies, like we talked about. And you have to deliver what people need in the space that you've built for people. If you're a brand that's only selling for store shelves, it's one thing. But if you're a taproom place, you need to offer more. Like even Allegash, I was speaking with them last week for something else. They're making wine now too and mm-hmm. cider and things like that to appeal to people that they make world-class beer, right? But not everybody wants world-class beer. So you can offer people the very best beer in the world that they have a hard time finding anywhere else. And they're kind of like, I don't want that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> right? yeah Yeah. and so it's just that's that's what's all about like if it's a THC beverage is it a wine is it making great food making awesome pizza using your yeast strain to make the dough I mean all these things all together are just um you know you have to pick and choose your lane what you are good at and what aligns with you I think as a person do you love making pizza are you big into smash burgers um you know, do you make yep. cupcakes in your sideline? You can find ways to think and make it authentic to yourself as a brewery owner, but you just have to think a little bit deeper about it too, and then execute on that.
0: Yeah. Pay attention to your consumer. We got to be innovative, um, you know, be forward-thinking and got to, got to separate yourself, uh, create the hosp- hospitality um, situation where people want to come back to. Uh, we need to keep our revenues up. And um, I think those are, those are the key points to having a great 2024
1: yep yeah I mean, like I'm bullish on beer's not gonna yeah. disappear, no. but um breweries will and brands will, and that's just what happens. I mean, look back historically, the 20th century in America, how many of our legacy lager brands are now just like mm-hmm. whatever brands within like paps or something like that right. anywhere else? I mean, it's the life and death of American brands happens like all the time. Yeah. You know, beer is not immune to what's going to happen. I mean, it's just, and some breweries may have outlived their lifespan. You know, you don't think about not every, how many hundred year brands do we have in America, right? You know, just because you built something doesn't mean it's going to outlive you as a generation going to outlive you and live on through multiple generations. And so, yeah, and maybe some people, you see now people are pulling the plug, they're tired 10 years in, your lease is up and you're like, well oh, it's a good run. Do I want to fight harder for this next thing? And the answer is no. And it's like, okay, it's not a failure so much, but understanding it's the end of like where you feel comfortable running this as a business. And it is the beer business. It's not, you know, the beer, I'm going to hang out with my friends, the beer business. And when the business becomes an even bigger part of the company side of things too, you know, it can take away some of the romance I think for people.
0: Absolutely. Hey, real quick, something else we didn't hit on, but um, I'm seeing coming up in articles is just the use of AI for breweries, uh, whether it be for, um, you know, from that, that tap room innovation, but also recipes um, to uh, tracking statistics and things like that. Are you seeing that? How are you seeing it used?
1: I'm seeing it, you know, there's a whole like early wave of AI hey, uh, wrote my IPA recipe. I think that's a gimmick. I mean, it's right. like, that's a hundred percent a gimmick. Um, that's not something that's, that's something that'll get you a media hit for a little bit, then it'll go away. Um, I don't see is building, you you know, building a beer, using AI to build a beer recipe that's doing nothing but searching through previously existing beer recipes is not going to give you a leg up in the marketplace overall. I will say, um, AI for generating beer, I think for beer descriptions, things like that. I mean, there's, as a writer, I see it happening, but I also hate it. But also, you can just like the AI descriptions are so soulless. You know, it feels like you know, they're just you. There's still value to a personal spin on it. Like you know, like at Cloudburst Instagram when they talk about their beers, these really fun stories go along with it too. And I think that's not something an AI could generate overnight. Sure, that that could generate, personal. yeah. Even, I think there's still personal touch. You make a connection to it. Mm-hmm. Use AI judiciously for what you know doesn't use ai judiciously but i don't but i would caution against using as a wholesale replacement for humans well said also i need to get paid by people so don't take my (laughs) don't take my job computers hey
0: josh (laughs) please pay josh cool hire me (laughs) what was it grease in the wet
1: <laughs> oh. oh. You can you can go back. I forget. I say things and I forget it two seconds later. You can go back in the transcript and uh make t shirts. You, uh, you get a ten percent cut.
0: Don't be surprised if one of those shirts shows up on your doorstep. <laughs> All good. Size meeting. Good stuff. Will uh will you be at CBC? Will we see you anywhere? Um, or will I have to come up to Brooklyn and visit you again?
1: I will be places, but unfortunately I can't make it to C B C this year. C B C falls in the middle of like uh, our spring break at school and yeah, travel.
0: My wife being in school that always jacks things up.
1: I know. And it's like C B C always like lands right in the middle of like spring break for us. And so we are going to warmer climates. Oh, yeah. Um, it's not Las Vegas with more ocean and less uh, less gambling. Okay. Less <laughs> down, there, down there too. But uh, you know. Always oh, gonna be traveling around, gonna be out in uh, California um, for midwinter break. Gonna go to San Francisco, excited to check out the scene out there. Gonna go to Truckee, actually, gonna make it out to Reno, I think, because why not go check out somewhere? Sure. Yeah, and then, uh, yeah, typical traveling around. I think I'm gonna go out to uh translator this year for a family trip nice. excited to check out the french beer scene how that's taking off too but um <laughs> nothing nothing solidified for beer stuff but i'm always keen to travel jump on amtrak and get around the northeast too
0: very cool yeah we'll be uh hitting up uh, cbc and um hosting a party out there and then uh, gonna check out the hoover dam gonna check out the uh western part of the grand canyon and i just found out we are going to berlin later this year for a sweet trip so i'm looking forward to that
1: yeah fine when you're in vegas go to the like the neon museum see the old old neon stuff Mm. i mean that's going to be a a cool way of seeing this like past of las vegas but okay anyway it's not beer.
0: good tidbit well hey josh as always man i appreciate you thanks for taking the time to do this and um hey have a great weekend
1: yep you as well too hey thanks so much you're
0: welcome cheers cheers All right, that'll do it for today's show. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to follow on Apple Podcasts. Leave a review. That'll help us get found by other fantastic people like yourself. I don't monetize this, so all I ask is that if you like it, share it with someone else who might like it. Connect with me on Instagram at Beer Mighty Things Podcast. Catch you all next time. Cheers and Beer Mighty Things.